This is the Goalkeeper Roundtable, hosted by Dr. Bill Steffen, with co-hosts Jeff Shook, Dave LaTourette, and George Costellis. Welcome back to the Goalkeeper Roundtable. In episode six, we ask Tracy Noonan to pull up a chair. Tracy is the proud owner of Dynasty Goalkeeping, where she implements an incredibly holistic and well-rounded curriculum at her camps and clinics. In her senior year, Tracy was a national champion and NCAA All-American at the University of North Carolina. She played professionally for the Boston Breakers and was capped 12 times while winning a World Cup medal with the U.S. Women's National Team. We have known Tracy since she was a youth player who attended Soccer Plus Goalkeeper School, and we can't be more proud of her evolution as a player, coach, and a person. It's our honor to welcome Tracy to the Goalkeeper Roundtable. Now it's time to get the conversation started with Dr. Bill, GK, Lotto, Shooky, and Noons. Okay, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whichever applies to you, pick one. Um, I'm Bill Steffen, we're here with Goalkeeper Roundtable. Today is a special day because we have a very special guest, um, Tracy Noonan, whose accolades would take up the better part of our hour if we uh, went through them all, but uh, a 99er, World Cup champion, uh, professional player for years, um, college goalkeeper for University of North Carolina, numerous national championships there. Um, and just a, a, a great coach now. She's evolved from playing to just a, a really good goalkeeper coach. And so a great resource for us to chat with at this moment. Okay, so I'll toss it around and let everybody introduce themselves. Uh, Jeff Shook, coming from uh, the wonderful state of Michigan, uh, working with Michigan Rush, uh, Corktown AFC of the UWS and AFC Ann Arbor of the USL. George Costellis uh, coming uh, at you from Connecticut, director of coaching for the Soccer Club of Newington, uh, national staff coach with the United Soccer Coaches and George Costellis goalkeeper. Hey guys, uh, well, welcome back. Dave Lauderette here. I'm out in uh, Northern California in Sonoma County. Um, associate head men's soccer coach and instructor of kinesiology at Santa Rosa Junior College. And I'm excited about today's episode because with Tracy here, it's uh, someone like George maybe as well and Billy, but we've known since she was maybe 15, 16 <laughs> years old. And she is a very important part of, uh, of I've referred to as the, the Tony, De, Tony DeChico tree. Yep. So Definitely. Um, oops, sorry. Did I cut no. you off? Got it. Go. All right. Good. Um, Tracy Noonan, pleasure to be here. Um, Bill obviously already semi-introduced me. Um, coming to you from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I'm currently coaching at my um, soccer camp business called Dynasty Goalkeeping. Yeah, great, great, good. Um, and so this provides us with a really good opportunity because uh, I, I've been at Tracy's camps. They're fantastic training, unbelievably intense and well-rounded training. And so um, we'll be able to talk about a number of different levels as well as both male and female youth goalkeepers. So let's start off on that tack. Um, Trace, why don't you go give us a picture of your view of differences between, we'll start with youth, 
but uh-huh. youth, male, and female goalkeepers. What are some of the differences that you look for? That I look for or that I well, see? That you, that you observe, that you observe. Um, I mean, for me, um, I would say typically males are getting physically developed a little bit earlier than my females, so they're developing their explosive power and some of their quickness, typically on average a little bit earlier, and um, tapping into their physical resources, I would say, a little bit earlier in their age. Um, On the flip side, I think males, as they go through their growth sports, more often than not will hit this period of, uh, because they're growing so fast, where it's like uncoordinated and going through that spell. Um, I will certainly see that in some of my females, but I think it's less um, common than it is um, on the male side. Um, As far as coaching, um, personally, I don't tend to coach my male or female goalkeepers different based on these things. Um, I coach each individual based on the individual. So if the individual has a need for developing more explosive power or working on their quickness and their agility, then I'm going to address those issues on the individual, not just well, you're a male goalkeeper, you need this. You know, you're a female goalkeeper, you're shorter and a big goal, so you need this. Um, so to me, it's always based on the individual. Good, good. Um, one of the other things I think is that um, if, we, if we were to broaden this and make it a little bit more general, but do you see a difference in the ages that someone, a youth player decides they're a goalkeeper? Do males, females decide at different ages? In, again, we're speaking in generalities, but in general, do you think they... Uh, tend to focus at different ages or is that a similar path do you think I mean I I haven't um, noticed too big of a difference and I would say this summer I'm actually coaching a lot more males um, than my typical summer since my camps were shifted and I'm now doing a bunch of individual and small group stuff Um, so I am coaching a lot more males than I typically would in a summer season Um, and I have not noticed a difference between males deciding to focus any earlier than females or vice versa Okay. Because again, the difference to me is, is the growth rate, called PHV, peak height velocity, uh, when they're growing the fastest, uh, difference between males and females. But if they're about the same age, I think it probably just deals more with the, their decision as a, as a player, as a kid, not, okay, I'm going to wait to see if I grow and develop along those lines. Um, I would also say what I, what I would notice male to female side is I think more of my male goalkeepers are multi-sport athletes. Um, than females Um, and so to me I think that some of that is um, coming down from like DA and ECNL and some of the leagues putting pressure on these athletes to focus Um, I have several female athletes that would like to play multi-sport and I definitely had several this summer that I was encouraging to stay in their sports but it is increasingly more difficult based on the pressures that they're getting from their clubs Um, and most of them what they say to me is the other sport would be fine with them playing soccer, but it's the soccer piece of the equation, those coaches that are telling them that they have to focus um, and pick one or the other. Um, so I, I do feel like more of my males are more multi-sport, go out and play um, on their own than, than more so of my females. Yeah, Lado, do you have a... Yeah, it, it reminded me of our conversation with G. Guerreri uh, in our previous episode where G talked about actually maybe a little bit differently than his field players, but more specifically for his goalkeepers, that he would prefer them to play another sport. Uh, We talked about tennis, which I've always talked about tennis, which seems a little bit, maybe not 
um, traditional, but in terms of the preparation that you need to make with your feet to receive a, a ball over the, all over the net, uh, the lateral movement, the forward, the back, the reading of the movements. Um, I had a, a female goalkeeper that we talked about who, who came, took a hiatus and came back from playing volleyball, and I noticed a difference. Confidence, um, movements, just some, some things about her that would enter, and she was refreshed about it. So I believe it's an, maybe another topic we talk about multi-sport. But question for Tracy, because I was asked this question, and I have an answer based on what I've seen, is that our female goalkeepers get to a point where um, they have that maturate, uh, maturational change, sort of hormonal. Um, they, they go through a process. And for some females, their body changes uh, and it starts to change quickly. For some, not as much. Maybe uh, you can talk about your experience either as an athlete, but also what you're seeing with, with females. And, and my thing is, is be, as coaches that we need to be aware of it, and like you talked about on an individual basis, how do we handle that for these females that are frustrated, maybe because, maybe, and I'm not talking about image, but I'm talking about how their body functions physically when those changes happen. I mean, I just speaking for myself and my own personal experiences, um, when I went to college in my freshman year at UNC, which is roughly, you know, it's somewhere around like late high school, early into college, um, where you're undergoing all these different hormonal changes and your growth, you stop growing and your metabolism is shifting. For me, I added 15 pounds of weight my freshman year. Some of it was clearly dietary choices, eating in the dining hall and just um, not making good choices, but compound that with the shift that was going on with my body and my metabolism and the two together, um, you know, resulted in my weight gain and it wasn't muscle weight and it was in season when I was training harder than I'd ever trained um, before. So that's when I became a lot more aware of what I was choosing to fuel myself with, but also how my body felt. Um, and so, you know, for me as a female athlete, I just knew I needed to make some changes. Um, and it wasn't based on body image. It was all based on, for me, it was on performance. I knew I wasn't going to perform well when I felt like I was heavy. And I, you know, even though I was strong, if I was carrying an extra 5, 10, 15 pounds, it doesn't go, you know, that strength doesn't go as far. Um, so that's when I really keyed into my nutrition and that progression has become a lifelong progression of staying aware of, of my nutrition. Tracy, are you seeing it like in your camps with any of your, your females, for example, what I've seen is that some of their girls go through that process. And like you said, some earlier and some later and their bodies change, they gain weight. And in the period that they're frustrated, I've had the discussion with them that say, listen, maybe, maybe you're not jumping quite as well or you're moving quite as quick as you were, but let's, until we can make some changes in your body, we can get adapted to it. My point has been more psychological. Work on the things that we can continue to work on, positioning, technique, the psychological side of things, um, just so we can, we can build confidence and maybe your experiences and what you've seen with that um, with, your, with your ladies. Uh, I mean, I think that's a great way of tackling it because like you said, those shifts are not you know, those uh, physiological shifts that you're going to make, whether it's nutrition or just letting your body kind of settle into the new direction that it's going to go, don't happen, you know, in a day, a week or a month. So it is going to take some time. So I think focusing on the areas that you can control and the things that you are good in, um, like you said, the psychological dimensions could be the tactical dimensions. I think is a great way to maintain the confidence in those goalkeepers um, while they figure out the direction that their body is, is shifting. Um, I mean, the areas that I tend to focus on with them is really getting into deep into the nutrition and it's not nutrition based on like calorie counting. I mean, while that is an important concept to me, it's about 
nutrient dense eating um, and making sure that they're doing things to support their immune system, to support their recovery, to support their hormonal system, because those are things that are going to impact them as females. Um, so minimizing processed food, minimizing soy, minimizing, you know, um, eating organic. I mean, those are things that I'm a huge proponent to for my own health, but very much for my students uh, right now during COVID the lecture that I had through Zoom earlier in the uh, summer with my students was all about supporting the immune system. Um, so stuff like eating turmeric, ginger, um, I think what other things I would have mentioned, garlic, um, all kinds of like foods that heal and foods that are also going to support the endocrine system, the immune system. So that's the, the basis that I come from is supporting them nutritionally and, um, and then hopefully kind of working from there. But I also like your philosophy of, of the psychological component alongside with it. Yeah, I think I there's, there's oh, a ahead, tremendous amount of, yeah, I'm sorry, Lara, but there's a tremendous amount of changes and, and that can affect the psychology of, of an athlete all of a sudden, whereas, you know, I was really so, strong psychologically as a 14 year old, as a 16 year old, I am questioning myself. And it's a matter of kind of like maintaining your strengths, building on your strengths, but then also as these things change, as uh, different physical physical situations pop up or needs pop up and you, you have desires, you address them. And I think that's one of the things that, again, a good coach such as yourself, Tracy, is, is, is uh, predisposed to looking for and to a doing. We want to keep those strengths. And if, you, if you're a good, you know, you read the game well, well, good, keep reading the game well. Now, in addition, we are going to build on these other things. And I think we have to focus on that with them. Um, George, what do you, what do you have here? Well, what I'm, you know, what's very interesting and in the way that I look at it from a psychological point of view as well is, I mean, in life, so we use soccer as a vehicle. I mean, all of us do. And, you know, when we think about confidence, okay, well, in life, it's about, it, it's really about our self-belief and our self-image. So during, the, during this time where females are changing, you know, there's those additional pressures from, from their peers, you know, as well. So I think, again, keeping it really honed in and focused on what you can control. And again, that's tough for a lot of kids, you know, because again, there's so much with peer pressure. So, you know, I think it's great to have an avenue where obviously Tracy, you're a great role model. And again, I mean, you know, I know what Charles Barkley said about being a role model, but the reality is they need to be able to, to turn to, to quote, good coaches, good people, good educators, so that they will maintain that self-esteem and that they will continue to stay the course and not allow, uh, obviously, it, some level of adversity to stymie them in their growth. Go on, Trace, go. Um, you know, in addition to the, you know, the actual weight gain, you know, the other thing that we need to talk about here is I equally have as many students that are underweight. Um, I'm actually dealing with a student right now that um, is heading off to college and, you know, because, you know, we've discussed, you know, getting to a healthier weight for her performance, she's actually gone a little bit too, too low. Um, she's gotten really gung-ho on her eating. She's gotten really gung-ho on her, her exercise. Um, and because of that, she's actually gone a little bit too far and has gotten herself too lean. Um, and so then you get into the issues of amenorrhea where she's losing her period and that's not healthy either. Um, so we very much um, have that issue that I'm discussing with my students as well as Make sure you get enough calories to support yourself as an athlete to make sure that you have some body fat on your body because you do need it for protection. We're landing, we're hitting other, other people. So we do need to have that 
that layer and as well as you know the proper amount of energy to fuel the demands that that she's going to have as a collegiate athlete um so you know it is a complicated area of like we don't want our athletes obviously to carry too much weight but we can't have them underweight either um mm -hmm. and I, I see that also i mean as much as it's a female issue um i'm seeing it on the male side too where i've got athletes that this summer that i would say were overweight and are making very poor choices on their foods that they're having um for recovery and then i have athletes that are underweight that just need to get a lot more calories and nutrient dense calories yeah, I think um, especially, I just remember going away to college and you're doing, you know, if you're doing two sessions a day, you generally don't do that anywhere else but, or you may have done it in high school, but it's probably not at the same intensity and level. And so your your demands have to, your rather your input has to equal your demand. And if your demand is high, you eat a lot and that's, you're fueling it. And again, the analogy to being to a you know, I've used this before with kids, the, the car. You're not putting enough gas in your car, you're not going to get there. And so you need to put in the calories, as you mentioned, Trace, that, you know, will make sure you have sufficient energy to propel yourself and to carry you through, you know, additional training if that's what you're going through. Billy, you'll get there, but you have to push the car, and that's really difficult. <laughs> um, uh, this guy, i got to make sure I plug it in. <laughs> um. Trace, one of the things we also, and you and I had a chance to chat uh, a little bit ago, we keep in touch through periodically, it's nice. Um, we talked about for some of our audience are gonna be people that are coaching goalkeepers. And, you know, there are differences, you know, the goalkeepers as, just as goalkeepers are unique enough. And now when we talk about coaching males and females, uh, you know, you and I also have in common, you know, the, the North Carolina experience and going through the process there. And Anson has some very uh, specific experiences on dealing with females and males from a coaching standpoint. If you could tell um, some of our coaches that are listening what, what you would suggest in terms of there are some differences and here's where there's not differences. Kind of like, okay, here's something to look for that might be a difference. Here's something where don't treat them differently. What do you think you would – how would you respond and tell them? Um, so – I would say the, the most obvious difference is, you know, size-wise, as females, we're going to be smaller than, than our male counterparts. Um, if I, you know, at, at whatever age, typically your female goalkeeper is going to be smaller in stature, um, yet we're required to cover the same goal. Um, do I coach my goalkeeper differently because of that? Personally, I would say not so much. Um, I'm going to be more attuned to my smaller goalkeeper, whether it's male or female, with they've got to be that much more precise with their positioning. So tactically, they've got to be that much more precise. They can't afford to be caught off their line. Like a six-foot goalkeeper might be able to get away with that. Um, and in addition, their footwork has to be significantly better, um, whether it's footwork laterally to take off for a dive because their lateral saving range isn't going to be the same when they don't have the same wingspan, um, as well as crosses. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest areas um, for me at camp at Dynasty during the summer that I spend a significant amount of time honing the preparation and their footwork for, for crosses. I have far too many goalkeepers that are going off of two feet because they can get away with it. Either they female or male that they've grown early and they're taller than the kids that they're competing with. So they get away with going off two feet. Um, and at some point, no matter what level the goalkeeper is, it's going to catch up with them. For some, it, it catches up with them in high school. For some, it catches up with them in college. It just depends on how good of an athlete they are. For instance, I have one athlete that's exceptional. She's got a great vertical jump. Um, she's still going off of two feet, and she's you know a junior in high school right now. 
preparing to go to a major D1. And I've been working on her nonstop about preparation of her footwork to get the J hook in to elevate off of one foot because once she gets to this, you know, into the ACC, it's not going to be, it's not going to go well for her. She's going to get contact. Um, so for me, it's about holding my goalkeepers accountable to these little details that are going to help elevate their game. And that can be the same for a male goalkeeper that's shorter. They're going to have to um, be better in the technical areas. They're going to have to be better tactically um, than the more the stock the taller goalkeeper those goalkeepers might be able to get away with it do i still stress it for my older goalkeepers definitely because to me you get that taller goalkeeper that is good with their positioning and is really good with their footwork then they become unstoppable so i still would hold that goalkeeper accountable in those areas as well um versus allowing them to rely upon those um gifts like their, their gift of their size um so to me I wouldn't necessarily coach them different. I just know that it's that much more important for the smaller goalkeeper because they have very little margin for error. I think you made a good point because one of the things that, you know, again, I spend a lot of time in coaching education. One of the things is to, we allow coaches to kind of allow kids to get away with things. I got a big kid. I don't need to train them. They're tall. Give it them, right. you know, if they're 14 and tall, that doesn't mean that they're going to be 16 and tall or 18 and tall. And, don't let our kids get away with it, you know, not necessarily exploiting their gifts, but utilizing gifts that will ultimately diminish or I wouldn't say prohibit's probably too strong a word, but limit their potential. And so I think it's absolutely to do that. I think it absolutely limits their their development to re to reach their peak potential when coaches don't hold them accountable early on. And then it becomes very hard for these goalkeepers when they're in college to repattern almost nearly impossible unless they're really willing to dedicate a lot of time because now they've become so that pattern has been so ingrained in their muscle memory to arrive to the spot jump off two feet or whatever the the issue is it becomes really hard to create the correct pattern at that point so yeah. i think that's where that's where i think a lot of youth coaches do a disservice to their goalkeepers because they aren't holding them accountable because they can get away with it yeah good Jeff, you have something that we use was don't let what you're good at hold you back from being great. And I think that's what happens is they compensate so long with a physical, you know, power and yeah. don't, don't expand on it. And all of a sudden when it gets to a level where something else is called upon, they have no other tool in their toolkit. Good, good. Um, I think this is good. One of the um, ideas we've talked about are kind of like, okay, some technical ideas, some uh, physical, um, in terms of psychology, as you see kids, and we'll say male and female, but let's just keep it all kids, and then if we want to tease out males or females or something like that. In terms of their psychological development, goalkeepers are always unique in terms of their psychology. We all know that. We all plead guilty. Um, but um, the kind of range of kids that you're seeing, you deal with very, at, at Dynasty Goalkeeping, you deal with you know very high kids to kind of like a little bit lower, but probably you see more uh, of the high-end kids so you get, you get to see the, the real spectrum of kid as they go through the process of becoming, you know, becoming a goalkeeper, now becoming a, a solid goalkeeper, now becoming a really good goalkeeper, now becoming, you know, an elite goalkeeper. Um, what are some of the, the changes that you see occurring, both good and bad? And as a coach, what uh, would you direct youth coaches to try and uh, use in terms of directing their – Psychological, psychological development of their kids. 
I, from a, I will go kind of down the female perspective. Um, for me, what I notice a lot from my students is um, I don't believe that a lot of the youth coaches are holding their female goalkeepers accountable enough. Like it's good enough if they make a block, um, you know, and knock it out for a corner kick. Um, and when I'm coaching them, I'm like, you can catch that. It's good enough if they go out there and box it and get a piece of it on a cross. And I'm like, no, your footwork was awful and you took the wrong path and, you know, you need to make some adjust adjustments and you can catch that ball. Um, so for me, I think um, it's okay to hold your female goalkeepers accountable. I think that we're worried about they're too fragile and that they can't handle that feedback. And I absolutely disagree. Um, I think actually what I have found is my females really appreciate the tough love and that's what's going to allow them to get better. Um, and certainly there's a way to deliver it. I'm not telling them, oh, that's awful. That's certainly not my terminology of what I'm using <laughs> when I'm on the field. Um, you know, I'm coaching them and I'm getting them there with some, some feedback and some critical, you know, some, uh, you know, whatever, some positive feedback to get them there. Um, but I, I think a lot of coaches are quick to just be like, oh, she made the save. That's, that's fine. That's good enough. Um, and that they hold their males and their female goalkeepers to a different set of standards. And I absolutely disagree with that. Um, you know, it's not good enough to just block that ball. I don't think that's how you would coach your male goalkeepers. And I wouldn't say that's true of this roundtable coaches that I'm sitting here with, but I do think that there are a lot of youth goalkeepers that are doing that based on the experience that I talk to my female goalkeepers when I ask them what they are doing in their home environment. And those things are not being, they're not being held accountable to those standards. George. It gets me to think that um, I, I'm not quite sure about the relationships that they're forging with, the, with their goalkeepers, but to me, it, it goes back to that interpersonal relationship and developing that level of trust where you're able to open up honestly, whether, whether it's a female or a male, being able to tell them the hard truth mm -hmm. that, hey, listen, you know what? Good goalkeeper, but you can be better. And they understand that because they're trusting in you and that they know that you've always had their best interest at heart. And what, what I'm, what I'm finding with some of the, the goalkeepers that I've come across, and again, I'll just use one of my, uh, somebody that I had coached at the, the USL level is, you know, they weren't, they weren't coached early enough about their hand position. And here's a, at a professional level. And here I am, you know, coaching them, coaching them, telling them the importance of their hand position. And, and again, it's, it's because we forged that relationship where I can be honest, it wasn't like he was taking it personally. And I think what happens is I think some of the relationships that what you're experiencing or what you're, uh, what you're sharing is that they don't have that closeness and that bond. And to me, it comes down to that first, whether it's male or female, they have to develop that level of trust. Absolutely agree, George. Yeah, I think uh, it's funny, but I, I especially appreciate the point about, you know, not holding the females to a, a high standard. Uh, and again, it just goes back. Uh, I was with Anson actually at a tournament and you see, you know, the big challenge event they used to have. And a, a female goalkeeper got scored on, she's probably about 40 yards out. And nobody really got upset or said anything. It's like the ball floated over you from 40 yards out. And, well, you know, she's a girl. They struggle with that. Like, yeah. yeah, but it, it still counts as a goal. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, but she can do better. And nobody really bothered to, you know, and again, I'm sure internally 
she may have felt bad about it, but she's just kind of like, she got conditioned to the fact that, yeah, well, if it's going to be hot like that, it's going to go in. It's not anything I can do about it. Versus, no, there are things you can do about it. Yep. I just want to bring it back to, and again, I, this is for all of us. And to me, again, I've experienced it at the club level. Again, I, I worked at Tony's club for a while and the challenges is you, you have so many numbers, you know, so building that bond and trust with everybody can be quite difficult. Call it what it is. Cause you're, you're going to spend more time with others. You know, you know what I mean? You're going to spread your, you're going to spread your time with a number of goalkeepers. So do you feel that it's coming down to that? They are just in general, giving them general information rather than specific information because they're oversaturated with goalkeepers. I mean, I think that's a piece of it, um, that, that it is difficult in those group settings. However, um, in my summer camp environment, I've got students in for five days and we've got 12 students there for the week. I've got three other staff coaches plus myself. And so, yes, our number ratio is, is good. It's not one to 12, it's one to three. Um, but still I've, I've got students that are new Obviously, sometimes I'll have repeat students, so I have formed already a relationship and a bond with them. But my new students, you know, I've got to form a bond with them in five days. Um, so these club coaches, you're seeing them week in and week out. Even if it's just one session per week, at some point, you know, you are regularly crossing paths with them. So you've got to make that effort to get to know them. And that get to know them is finding out what makes them tick what is going on in their world outside of soccer i mean those are the things that i'm making an effort to do with my students in this camp environment and trust me my schedule is tight i'm not going to bed until like two in the morning because i'm doing so much different work like you mentioned like at soccer plus you know back in the day when we all used to work that or for me when i attended as a student like yeah your day is packed it's the same for me in my environment at camp um well, there are environments and moments within that, whether it's at lunch, whether it's walking to the field, you know, in the club environment to get to know your athlete, check in with them and touch base with them. So you do develop that relationship and that they know that you care about them as an individual, then they are going to be able to manage, you know, your feedback and trust your feedback. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you as well, uh, Trace, it's, it's very interesting as this game and specifically in the U.S. I think has evolved, especially in terms of goalkeeping. Uh, there is a uh, territorially not the best word, but uh, there are a lot of goalkeeper coaches that will say, this is what you're going to do. This is what you do. You don't do it other ways. You don't do anything differently. Um, and they will train. Now, we could all, uh, you know, you and I have had enough discussions about technique and so forth. Occasionally we've differed, but generally we're on the same page with a lot of things. Um, but when a, when a kid has someone teaching them just this one way, and this is the way to do it, and they say, and when you try something different, well, no, my coach said you do it this way. Um, how, how, what would be a good way for a, a youth coach to deal with uh, training a goalkeeper that is going to be getting goalkeeper coaching from other sources? Uh, I mean, that's every student of mine. Every student of mine that comes in is working with their, their club coaches. Um, and so they're getting a different set of information typically. Um, but sometimes it's the same and it's in a lineup, but sometimes it's different. Um, and oftentimes then my students will then progress into college and oftentimes then there's a drop and sadly, but there's a drop in the, the level when they get into college compared to their clubs or compared to what they're getting from me. Um, and so what I discuss with my students is 
being open to it. I mean, I'm a product of every goalkeeper coach that I came across. Um, and I'm not a product of just one sole goalkeeper coach. My techniques and who I was as a goalkeeper were formed from taking bits and pieces from every coach that I crossed. Whether I truly liked that coach or didn't, I got a nugget from every coach that I was with. Um, and some are more, you know, like diamonds and they're gems and I'm going to hold on to them. And some are, you know, not quite as polished. Um, but there is knowledge to gain from every person that you interact with. Um, and so that's what I challenge my goalkeepers to do is to just stay open and to try stuff. Um, and so right now I'll give you an example, uh, nearly every youth goalkeeper that I come across now, um, has not learned, I'm going to say like 11, 12, 13, 14, these younger goalkeepers are not being taught to smother save on breakaways. Everything is K safe, block safe. Um, and they've not even, they've not even heard of it, which is to me a bit mind blowing that it's not even being taught anymore. Um, that this philosophy is being a bit lost um, and this technique is being lost. So I'm really having to reintegrate to them like, or explain to them the importance of this technique and then say, you know, try it, figure out what works for you. I'm not saying it's the only way or the one way, but let's just try these different techniques and then you get to decide, you know, if it's something that you want to put into your tool, be tool belt or not. Yeah, it's great. I think I've shared this story before with mostly, but I don't know if I shared it in this forum, but I, this really got burned into my brain um, when I was directing Good Soccer Plus, working with Peter Bernetti, uh, England not just passed away. Sorry to see him go. He's a great guy, great coach. Uh, and he wasn't familiar with kind of the routine. So we sent out, we had about 100 goalkeepers. We sent them out for water. And I'm kind of telling Peter, here's what we're going to do next. Here's what we're going to do next. Here's what we're going to do next. And he, yeah, okay, okay. And we we're going to do crossing. And so I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do, Peter. We're going to have them there talk about positioning. I'm going to talk about my shape. I'm kind of like a three-quarter stance. You know, I'm not facing directly to the ball. As it goes wide, I'm starting to open up a little bit more. He goes, oh, I don't do that. I'm going, well, I want to be, you know, kind of three-quarters so I can see back here. I can see the ball as well. He goes, no, nah, no, nah, I am going to look at the ball. I don't care what's behind me. I'm, no, I'm going to do this. And we went, um, putting into a, a very, very brief period here, but we went on for maybe two or three minutes about our different, you know, rationalizations for our choices and it, he was just such a great guy that it was like you know peter this is this is great we're bringing the kids in and you and i are going to have the same discussion in front of all of these hundred kids and so we brought all the kids in and i said okay here i'm going to tell you a little bit about crossing here's my ideas about shape da -da 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 -da, you know and i went on and then, now peter is going to talk to you about his ideas about shape and he did his ideas and he said okay yeah you know, you know what which works for you which works for you which works for you find which one and go with it. And that just got in, that impressed me so much that I've, I've told that story hundreds of times because it really impressed upon me exactly what you're saying is I'm going to listen to everybody. I'm going to listen and I'll pick and choose what I feel is appropriate for me and what works for me. A lot of, yeah, some of that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I was at that camp as a staff coach and that conversation forced me to rethink how I was dealing with crosses positionally but also how I was facing. Um, I had been at other camps, heard other coaches, and I had sort of established this little bit of three quarters and Peter being smaller and we're all, we're all smaller, except Tracy. Tracy's probably a slightly taller stature for a female. What? Right? I might look it, but I'm not. That's a nice compliment. Maybe because, maybe because you're lanky and strong, right? Um, but, uh, but. Good recovery save, Lotto. Good recovery yeah, right. save. Yeah. Second save. Billy, I'll take second it. Third. But it forced me to, to face the ball a little bit more. And all of a sudden, 
my anticipation was a little bit better. My ability to attack balls uh, at the front corner, towards the front corner of the six, the front post, the driven ball in, uh, it was a half a second that really helped me. And I always felt like, well, if the ball gets played behind me, I've got time to, I was quick enough and I worked on opening my shape to move and see that ball. So again, have, having different personalities and ideas and being uh, exposed to that as goalkeepers, we, we need to be able to think about it. But also as coaches, I think as coaches, we need to not be as sensitive that if someone doesn't 100% agree with the way uh, that you do. And I think that's some of the message we're trying to get out to educate coaches. And this goes back to what Tracy was saying, spend a little time with your goalkeeper. Uh, we talked earlier that take just 10 minutes if you're working with young goalkeepers before training and work on some activities to get them engaged and get them warmed up so you start to know them a little bit. Um, and G. Guerreri, who that our episode with G is, is just come out when we're talking about this, it hasn't come out, but it's, it'll be, it'll be out a week before this comes out. And G's the head women's soccer coach at Texas A&M university, but he's their goalkeeper coach. So he has an intimate relationship with their goalkeepers. Uh, so I think that relationship side, but also being as goalkeepers open to um, trying other stuff, if it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, I think geez, uh, the one thing I like that G said, and I'm probably going to steal his phrase, was he's not as much a goalkeeper coach or director, but he's a goalkeeper whisperer because they'll tend to whisper something in their ear as they're playing, like, oh, maybe you should have tried this, or do you think you could have got that ball? And that's the kind of coaching that, again, I think when you're talking about getting that trust and um, developing that relationship, that's a big part of it right there. Well, the, I just think it's really important is, is being open-minded. And I think as you get older and wiser and you've been around the game and you've experienced a lot more, that becomes a lot easier. I think what tends to happen is we, we are guarded when we're younger because we, we're, we're trying to prove ourselves. So that, that growth and development as a coach is, is part of it. But, I, I, you know, the way that I look at it is how can you be so concrete? And, you know, when you're concrete, it's, it's either right or wrong. I mean, if you look at Jeff Shook and you look at George Costello, you're going to see somebody that's 5'10 and somebody that's probably, what are you, Jeff, 6'2? I mean, how can you teach six us five, the same man. way? 6'5. Oh, you know what damn. I mean? 6'5. So it's like, how are you going to tell me that this, the, the exact same thing is going to work for me that it is for Jeff? Can we, can we I mean, that's just a simple, ex, that's, <laughs> can we change the name of the show, Three Munchkins and a Giant? <laughs> it's, it's, it's still a round table just some of us are in high chairs <laughs> you know the, the example that i use is you know there's goalkeepers that are tall that might just you know redirect the ball over the crossbar with their fist where you know for me i i like that open hand because i it, it gives length you know so it's again you know as long as it is being effective i think it comes yeah. down to well, that effective again i don't know i'm i'm kind of guess to go out on a limb that I'm the oldest here. Um, and uh, I played against a, a fellow named Arnie Mauser, who had a real lengthy career in NASL for a long time and stuff like that. Arnie was a big guy. He was probably like 6'5", like Jeff looked right your size. But I strayed so much farther forward off my line than Arnie. Arnie's this big guy who just sat on his line and he, he was very successful. Sat on his line, anything towards goal, he just knock away he'd win get from there and he never felt like he had to go forward for it whereas i was like okay i've got to go and i've got to get these i have a limit i'm not going to go get everything but arnie was so much bigger than me and i just found it remarkable how tight to his own line he played versus me and i was 
you know, five inches shorter than him. So it's just, it's just remarkable how it's a very unique position. Well, yep. and to that point, being a six foot five guy, all my goalkeeping coaches took for granted that I was very good in the air. So we never trained it. So as I played it and as my career uh, progressed, I didn't, I didn't strain much more than three or four yards off my line because I wasn't comfortable. But what did help me was they always figured the tall guy could never get down. So they trained that ad nauseum. And I was fantastic on low balls. And then the perception from opposing teams was six foot five, don't play it in the air. He's exceptional. It played to my advantage. No one played a flighted ball against me. And had they played one, they would have seen that was the biggest problem in my game. So I, I think you have to be cautious, assuming um, any basis on size of a goalkeeper. Tall guys are good. Short guys can get down low. It can work against you if you're not careful. As Tracy Noonan said, some, at some point it's going to catch up with you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy, um, um, question, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. On um, to, to Lotto's comment about as coaches, um, what we need to be a little bit more open-minded to hearing other opinions and kind of what you were, that string that you were kind of talking about, Bill, as well. Um, I mean, I do think that is important for, for these youth goalkeepers to, to be, is to be accepting when you have a goalkeeper that comes in like, hey, I've learned it this way at, you know, at Dynasty Goalkeeping. And like, how do they receive that? How do you receive that as a coach to allow your student to have the flexibility to be able to try both techniques? Um, and are you open as a coach to a different philosophy? So for me, it comes from what I do as my strategy is, is asking them a lot of different questions. So like, okay, well, what have you learned about this case aid, this box aid? When do you use it? Why do you use it? What distance? When do you engage in it? Um, so I, I tend to start to engage in a conversation or it could be their hand shape because, you know, George was mentioning oftentimes hand shape. I'll see all spectrums of where they position position their hands and they're like well my coach back home says I have to have my hands in this position um so I start to engage them in a conversation so that it's a teachable moment and it's a learning moment and then they can ultimately I'm not in their body they have to make their decision so here's you know why I might choose this this is what your other goalkeeper coach is saying and and let's work through it um and then absolutely um what Lotta was mentioning on the positioning of on crosses um, very late in my career, it was Phil Wedden, who was my goalkeeper coach with the Boston Breakers. Um, and he was one of the ones that introduced to me um, facing the ball on the cross. And it was super uncomfortable in the beginning. I was, you know, fighting it because I felt very blinded to the backside because I was more of a three quarters semi open type of a stance. Um, and when I started to work on it in practice, I absolutely loved it. Um, and it became the direction that I wanted to go. And so that was a very late shift for me in my career that I really liked and found beneficial because I was open to his suggestion. Yeah, I think as a coach, uh, and I'll, I'll go back, uh, I'll use a little bit of my uh, teaching experiences in this as well. It's, I got very cocky and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. So I'm going to present this information, challenge me, because if you, if you don't have a good idea, I will, it will reconfirm what I am trying to teach. And if, you know what, if you have a good idea, then I'll learn something. I will learn something. And so I get very, uh, like you said, almost aggressive with my students. I, I want you to challenge me because, again, I want to find out, you know, that I want to confirm that I, either I'm right or I want to learn. And so I think that as a, as a goalkeeper coach, I think we have to have the same. And again, perhaps as, uh, as someone mentioned, you know, it gets a little bit easier with age and experience. 
But at the same time, be open to, I mean, hey, if I can learn something, I am going to learn something. And I don't mind that. And I think that's as long as coaches understand that and respect that, I think that also gets mirrored then in your students, that they understand I'm always going to be learning. And that's, that helps, that's to their benefit um, from that. Uh, Trace, I wanted to throw another question to you. Um, again, you, you have a limit. I know your camps are tremendous because of the amount of contact you maintain with your students throughout the year, and the feedback they get is just unbelievable. Um, but if you take these kids and you see them in that real tight period for an intense amount of time, if there was something that you could tell their goalkeeper coaches back at home, here's what I think they need to work on. If you had to, and again, I'm speaking against, feel free, paint with a very broad brush here. Um, what do you think that, in general, that most kids, as they're developing goalkeepers, need to spend the most time on? For me, crosses. Um, quite simply, they don't get enough. Um, I mean, it's across the board when I ask them these questions, male, female. How often are you seeing crosses in practice? I mean, it's like single digits on the month forget about like per week, on the month. Um, and to pull from an example from our history, um, so Bill was my goalkeeper coach in college and I remember every time Bill would show up to practice, he would be like, all right guys, what do you guys wanna work on? Like he, he was very open and engaging and sometimes it was like, we'd have 10, man, 10 minutes and sometimes it would be like, Anson would be like, yeah, Bill, take the goalkeepers, go, you know, we'll play catch with them and whatnot. I mean, he's literally were like, what, how Anson would phrase it. Um, and that, you know, you might say that we have 10 minutes and then lo and behold, we'd have 45 and vice versa. We, you might say you have a half an hour and then five minutes later, you'd be like, oh, keepers, come back. Um, but Bill would ask us, what do you want to work on? Be like crosses. The next day would show up. But what do you, what do you guys want to work on? Crosses, Bill. Every day he'd ask me, like, Bill, you can stop asking me because it's going to be crosses every day. Um, because true, we don't true. see enough of them. Um, and then we're expected to like, somehow be magically confident in them in games with all this pressure. So they need to be seeing them and it needs to be, I mean, I would love it to be daily. I know that's not realistic in the club environment and the team environment to some degree, but to some degree it's not. There can be easy structures that coaches can be incorporating into their teams with flank services in small sided games. Ball goes out of play. It doesn't have to start with a throw in. It doesn't have to start with the, you know, with the goalkeeper in possession. It can start with the flank service. Um, this is how we do it at camp so that, you know, goalkeepers are, seeing more flighted balls and from different angles. Um, so it has to be incorporated in. Yeah, second think, uh, and, second and not too far behind that would be breakaways. Ah, okay. Decision-making on breakaways. Yeah, I'm going to touch on something I was just going to throw out. I think one of the biggest things is, again, they just need to – part of this is, is, is a flaw in the uh, pay-for-play system where if you spend – if I'm a goalkeeper trainer and I spend a limited amount of time with a, with a goalkeeper and I spend – 15 minutes of my hour on crosses. Somebody says, all they did was cross the ball for 15 minutes. Yeah, but you know what? You needed to see that. You need to see that. And again, part of it also ties in with the, you know, limited experience in other sports. Um, you know, I grew up, I think Lotto mentioned tennis. Um, and as a tennis player, I knew when, I, when that ball was struck, if it's going over my head, I know where it's going. I know if I can get to it or not. I know I'm going to have to either backpedal or I know I can hit an overhead on it. And I think these are the things that can help kids develop this ability. Pure repetition. John Wooden, eight laws of learning. Explanation, demonstration, imitation, repetition, 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 repetition. Um, and so the, just the amount of crosses. Um, Lotto, what do you, yeah, what do you got? Yeah, here? this is a, 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 
it be has become a little bit of a recurring message. And the, and the cool thing is that Tracy is talking about that and G emphasizes that as, mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and Tracy has not heard what G's said. So I think there's, there's some, uh, a good message uh, coming from her. And this piece for coaches is that when we create exercises, uh, let's, let's just go back to some of the stuff we talked about in the episode that's out now. George's activity, uh, my activity, which was 5v5, it doesn't matter. The ball goes off an end line or if it goes off, um, off, off the sideline. If it's being put in a play by the goalkeeper, it can be put in play by the opposing goalkeeper who has to put it on the floor and serve it with his feet into the goalkeeper in the air and they have to attack it. Uh, so for example, if we play 8v8, we do this two different ways. And, and I say we do it, but I tend to do it mainly because it's my frame of mind that our goalkeepers don't see enough of the repetition like Tracy says. So if we're playing 8v8, we play across the field. So we're basically 75 in length by 60 in width. So the ball goes out of bounds. Every ball that comes back in, if the blue team is playing a ball in, they have to play it in the air, flighted from the sideline into their goalkeeper's hands, and then the goalkeeper starts the attack. Um, or vice versa, um, it has to be played in from the opposing goalkeeper from the floor, meaning it's gonna be played about 40, 50 yards in the air, maybe 30, 40, 50 yards in the air. Goalkeeper has to attack it, save it in the air, and then we play. So it's just a way to, A, Tracy talks about high balls, but encourage high balls. High ball service or flank ball service from your field players. Uh, but also here's a way coaches that you can integrate your goalkeepers and feel that they're more important to you than they sometimes feel they are because they're not getting enough attention so that they know that, Hey, attack a ball, play a ball, distribute a ball. And there's teaching points for your goalkeepers. Every time a ball gets played back into the, into your game or exercise. George, what you got? I wanted to ask Tracy what she sees at, at Dynasty in regards to distribution, because I think we know as, as goalkeeper coaches that we're going to prioritize, you know, certain aspects of the game and we're going to revisit and, and so on. But one of the things that I still think is undertrained and undervalued, even in the modern game, when, because the last time I was at a college game or as a college coach was 2018, and I still saw some female goalkeeper struggling to strike a dead ball from a goal kick. And I'm not saying that's, that's all female goalkeepers, but it was just, a, it was still a surprise to me that, that there were still goalkeepers allowing one of their field players, one of their backs to take their goal kick. So I wanted to, to see what Tracy's experienced at, at Dynasty and how she addresses it. Um. I'll address that first, but I also want to come back to, if I can recall, um, oh, shoot. Lotta, what were you just, I've already lost my train of thought. Lotta, what you were just were mentioning, oh, I know what it is. Remind me, you guys, to ask you about, um, once I finish George's question, Bill, remind me to make a point about uh, the coaching curriculum within club environment for goalkeepers. Um, so, George, to address your issue on the distribution, I actually think it's coming a long way. Um, I look at back when I, when I was playing, I have clips of myself from, um, playing in the national championship in 94. And it's like really amusing to me. I like hand the ball to my center back, Mel Fedig, and I'm like <laughs> slap her on the back. Like, here you go. Take my goal kick. Um, I mean, I, it wasn't a part of my game and this was like my red shirt junior year in college. Um, and I very quickly had to get up to speed. And also this was the time when we could still pick up back passes. So, you know, it wasn't a part of the game then. Um, but that shifted my, my uh, redshirt senior year, and very quickly I had to make it a part of my game. Um, and then 
you know, right foot, left foot, and develop all those aspects. Um, obviously, we're at a different stage in the game right now. Um, I do think seeing my goalkeepers that come through now, um, their dominant foot, I think, is drastically improved. So their ability to take their goal kicks, they know that's a skill set that they have to have. Their comfort level with possessing out of the back because of um, the tactical development and um, what these youth clubs are trying to preach about the buildup of the play and taking more possession and building up through the back. Our goalkeepers more involved with using their feet. So I definitely think that they're getting a lot more touches on the ball. Um, the left foot, or they're not sorry, the non-dominant foot, I think is definitely still behind and we are still avoiding the, the, the non-dominant foot. So, and that's male and female, um, that they're just Absolutely. They're not, they're not, they're not spending enough time on that, that non-dominant foot. And to me, that's inexcusable. You're a soccer player. Um, so stop avoiding it. But also what, what I'm seeing more often now with this building out of the back is two things, the skill of the throw, um, and especially the baseball mm. throw, very few female goalkeepers are good at the baseball throw and that's not being taught as to incredibly good, quick outlet. That's more precise. Um, so that's a skill that are, is not being taught and is being a bit lost. Um, and females tend to struggle with that a little bit more because they're not throwing balls as much in multi-sport type things as, my typical male is. Um, and the other part that is missing as these goalkeepers in say small sided games, when we are playing like three V three plus one in the evening at dynasty, they immediately put the ball to their feet because they're being coached. Um, you know, we're playing out of the back. So one, they're not throwing. And so in a small sided game, like I was watching uh, the goalkeeper round table, the one that you just posted that had yeah. some ideas and training. And I think the very first one that I was listening to yesterday was, Bill discussing how UNC would play small-sided games 4v4 and that you want your goalkeeper to look high. Absolutely. And this doesn't happen for me at camp because they put it to their feet and they immediately now can't find the high target because there's bodies in the way. Um, so they're eliminating good choices because they're dropping it out of their hands and they're not using their throw and they're not looking high. Um, and with that, I also have my high-level local goalkeepers. This is, you know, DA level or former DA, ECNL. Um, that are not hitting the long ball. So mm -hmm. whether it's your side volley, your punt, your drop kick, putting it to the ground and hitting it, you know, 40, 50 yards, they're being preached to build out of the back. So they don't even have this skill set to be able to hit the quick counter confidently. Mm -hmm. They never, they're actually being told by their head coaches, don't hit that. So they literally are not hitting that ball. And so that to me is a problem that they're not working on that as a weapon. Because that, that should be a weapon. If we're playing short, we're playing short, we're playing short, the other team's going to get sucked in. Now it's an option. Now it's on. So um, that's, that's where I'm seeing the issues evolving with my distribution on the students that I'm seeing. Yeah, I think that's a valid point, Trace. Because, again, if you don't look for that long ball, if I'm, the, if I'm coaching against you, as soon as you get the ball, we are just going to press the hell out of you because right. we know you're going to just roll it to one of your wide backs or your center back. And we're just going to press to see how how well can you actually build it out of the back. And so I think by doing that that long ball that you described, that skill set, um, it keeps us honest. We can't press as much, and now that does open up the ability to play it out of the back. Um, I think I think one of the things that was mentioned and that was um, you know the the, the skill set. It, it, it's it's repetition again. UNCG had two very good goalkeepers, but their foot skills were not strong. And I just, okay, practice is over. No, it's not. The last 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you're going to take a bag of balls and you guys are going to knock balls to each other, both feet, 
um, and then do a couple of volleys, half volleys, back and forth. And it's simple enough, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, but it was every day doing this. And sure enough, by the end of their freshman season, they dramatically improved in terms of doing this. And so it's, it's simple, but we don't want to spend time with the, the repetition that's necessary for this kind of development. Um, George, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, it, it brings me to the relationship between head coach and goalkeeper coach and whether the, whether there's a level of communication and trust in the, in the information that's being shared between them. Because as a goalkeeper, coach, you know, just based on what you were diagramming that UNC does is our first instinct or should be, can I penetrate? Can I look high? Can I, can I get that player in and bypass the first line of attack or the second line of attack? So, but at the same time, some head coaches are strictly integrating, like we are just going to build. So we just want you to put it down. So it's minimizing the development of the goalkeeper in what Tracy was just identifying that, you know, are they going to be able to hit that intermediate ball or that long ball? Can they hit the ball in beyond? Um, the former goalkeeper that I was training with Hartford Athletic, even though they, they play a 3-5-2 and we, they want to build. I just saw him intercept the cross and his first instinct was, I'm pinging it long. He hit a dime so perfectly that they scored. Only one goal was scored. They just won 1-0. But he hit a ball perfectly. The, unfortunately, the, the New York Red Bull goalkeeper misjudged it. But he's the one that got the assist because he put it in. But you're going to find that's going to be a deficiency in some of our youngsters because they're not being told to hit that ball or taught. Trace, you wanted to talk about uh, club curriculums. Yeah, I wanted to pose a question to, to George and Jeff and, and Lotto because they're more in the club environment um, than I am. Um, and so my question back to you guys is, and this is maybe my perception, this is why I wanted to pose the question, my perception based on the goalkeepers that I'm working with um, when they're in their typical season, which we're not right now, but in your typical season, and you've got your goalkeepers that you're working with within your club, um, you know, you've got the fall season, the spring season, pick whatever your season is, um, and you've got your weekly goalkeeper session. My experience has been that there's a curriculum, and I understand, you know, the purpose of having a curriculum of what you're working through throughout that season. Um, you know, it might be handling one topic, the next week it might be diving, the next week it might be breakaways, whatever, we've got our curriculum. Would there be the issue that I have with that then is if it's crosses like we're getting back to is then they're not seeing crosses. Is there a way to incorporate? So for me, when I work with my goalkeepers, even if I am working with them on a weekly basis, I'm always getting in some type of crosses. It might not be the whole focal point of the session, but I'm doing something where they might have to take a cross and then they're doing handling or cross to something else. And I'm trying to make it obviously game-like, but can we get in some sort of, repetition within that environment or is that counterproductive explain your various environments so with us we meet four times a week with club goalkeeping um, we do follow a curriculum for one day a week uh, one of the days per week is in a team environment or an age group environment where our goalkeepers are trained functionally so it will be against shooting or crossing um, one, one day, as we said, with the curriculum, but then one of the other days will be specifically for a deficiency that they've identified to me, and we work on that, and then one day specifically to dis the various distribution. 
So we're, we've, we've, we're very lucky. We have four days, one with, with the age group, um, and we have a very committed crew of goalkeepers in the club. So it might be a little bit unique. Um, question on that. So I, I love it. It sounds amazing. Um, my question would be, are these goalkeepers then not required to go to their team practice every day because they're going in and working with you? They do go to team practice. Um, the Monday, which is the club training, they're all integrated within with their team. But on the other ones, we meet for one hour a day. So they would come to goalkeeping and then head off to their team training. Okay, so they're doing an additional three or four hours per week. They are, and that's uh, we've been very fortunate, like I said, to have a committed group of goalkeepers. Um, without, the, without their level of commitment to the position and to our club, we couldn't go um, as many times as we do. Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, we've talked, I've, I've talked anyway about the, the value of repetition is repetition takes time. And, you know, do you want to take an extra, you know, okay, well, that's 15 minutes of crossing every day is great, but then that's 15 minutes you don't have for other things. Now, again, we could bandy about the, the idea of, well, it's worth it. And you know what, spend the 15 minutes, and I would argue, yes, that's the case, but I think that's probably one of the situations, again, if you're a, a goalkeeper coach with a number of goalkeepers, you have your curriculum, you've got to get through these topics. Can I spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes each session just on crosses? Um, that's probably something that's a bit difficult. George? It, it's still very interesting that, you know, here we are as goalkeeper specialists and we're dialoguing about how some clubs are, are still struggling with, manufacturing time you know for their goalkeepers and i think that that's one of the biggest challenges when you're running a club is you know field accessibility and i mean there's so many logistical things but i know that clubs that i've been involved when that were that that uh, i would say that were very um open-minded about goalkeeper training allowed me and actually asked me questions about what how much time do you need and I remember that the last club that I worked with, you know, I was able to get the nines and 11s separately. And then I had the 12 to the 14s separately. And then I had, you know, the, the older goalkeeper. So um, it was a lot more work for me, but at the same time, I knew the importance of their development. And I knew that by breaking them up into smaller groups, it was going to be more effective, more repetitions, more opportunities to strike the ball, more opportunities to see crosses. But um, again, you know, not every club obviously is, is going to look at goalkeeping with that same type of, uh, of importance. Cool. Good. Good. Um, well, hey, this has been a very productive and very good conversation. I really thought this was great. Um, Trace, how can coaches learn more about Dynasty? Give them, the, give them a quick shout out as to how they can get in touch with you or, or see uh, what your camp presents. Yeah, uh, website's www.dynastygoalkeeping.com. So it's a very thorough website that they can find a ton of information there. Um, certainly on social media, you can follow us at DynastyGK on Twitter or Instagram. Um, but if you really want to get into the nuts and bolts, I would say head to the website. Um, we do a lot of um, more fun and enjoyment stuff on our social media than the like, you know, nuts and bolts pieces. So you'll get a different view of the camp depending on where you're seeking us out, but you can certainly reach me via any of those um, engines. Um, Bill, I did actually have one other question to sure. all of you guys as um, males uh, on this round table um, to again, see if my perception is, is different than what you guys are perceiving as players and now as coaches. 
is my perception um, as a coach is that um, males, um, their coaches are going to be a lot harder to me, actually almost too harsh in their messages to almost like, um, I'm trying to think of the right words. I think Bill, you and I spoke about it earlier and I can't exactly remember the, the terminology that I used about, it's almost like they're trying to beat them down and like yes. drop their level down and kind of crush, crush the beat ego. Them down to build them up. Yeah. And, um, to me, you would, well, first of all, I don't see that happening on the women's side, thankfully, because I don't think it's appropriate. Um, but I think coaches in general are too harsh on their males and too soft at times on their females on the accountability type pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think this bodes well for, for our males and their confidence. Um, and I think that they can be held accountable without being made to, uh, feel lesser than like you're taking away their value and their worth. Um, and I think it does tie back into like having that relationship and that open communication with your coach. But the males that I coach that have gone on and played in college, um, it's horrifying to me to hear the stories uh, that they're telling me about how they're treated. Um, uh, so I was kind of curious of the panel's thoughts on that. Yeah, Lotto. You muted, Lotto. Sorry, guys. Um, I think it's a great topic and a great question. Um, I'm actually just doing some reading for my uh, from one of the courses that I'm taking right now, and it has to deal with, you know, the power of coaches, power that's implied, um, power that you have as a coach, or how do you use your power as a coach? And and for me, I've always had a teaching background. Um, George played for me, so he could probably tell you a little bit, and my style has changed um, a little bit more. I don't strike as many balls. I don't yell quite as much. I Like G said, I'm a little bit more of a, a whisperer now. But I, I take my teaching and I take these pause moments to try and stop and just say, Bill, let's rest for a second. Let's go back to the near post. Show me the position you were in before and what went wrong. Where before I might have said, Bill, go back to the near post. Do this, do that, and do the other thing. But for me, I, I think we have as coaches have to ask questions. And we've talked about this here. We have to ask questions so that we create problem solvers from goalkeepers. And I don't know that what I do is typical um, because I still see what Tracy sees as well. And I believe some of that comes with maybe a lack of confidence from our, from our goalkeeper coaches or people that are coaching goalkeepers. Um, that, and we discussed before there, maybe there's only one way to do it, but if we as coaches are confident in what we deliver and what we teach that um, we need to change how we, how we, if that's going on, we need to change how we deliver our message um, to our goalkeepers. Yeah, we have to be firm. And I'll use one example. Uh, we just had, and this goes back again, what Tracy was talking about. I do some exercises with my older goalkeepers and my, and it's ability grouped and I'm sort of new into the club environment. So I'm still sort of weaning my way through it. And we've got new directors, but we're, we end up ability grouping and my older males and older female goalkeepers train together. So uh, they get very similar messages, very similar styles. Um, I like to do crossing a lot. They always want to handle shots. I said, no, we're going to deal with crosses and maybe then a shot because they simply just don't do enough of it and they're deficient at it. Um, but in that environment, my female goalkeepers are really receptive to actually someone being firm with them, not harsh, but firm with them and teaching them in that environment um, as opposed to um, something different that Tracy is alluding to. Yeah, I think one of the things I've noticed, I've dealt with um, male and female 
goalkeepers, and I, I tend to think I'm kind of like along the same path. Um, and I tend to be the same, but I, I always find that the guys are a little bit surprised and saying, like, well, you know, you, you're just really kind of soft on us. You're not yelling at us. You're not screaming at us. Go, no, I'm just going to talk to you. Um, one of the exercises I would do, and again, I think the point before about asking questions is very valid. Um, an exercise I would do in some of the coaching classes I taught is I would have somebody, okay, you're going to go out and coach. You pick a game, you pick a drill, you pick something, you're going to coach it. Every other statement you make has to be a question. And not a question like, did you hear me? Um, you know, it's got to be a, a divergent question. And that really challenges the coaches because then it's like, oh, man, uh, how can I phrase, how can I get the answer I want? What question do I need to ask? And I think that's one of the things about good coaches, really, really good coaches, is they know what questions to ask to get the, 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 the player, the student, whatever, to think along the paths that they should be thinking. So I think that's, uh, again, that was a tremendous exercise that we did with kids. It was really good. George. I still think that uh, something that, you know, again, gets, gets overlooked sometimes is, is just developing that interpersonal relationship where you can just talk to them as if you were peers and if you were friends so that they, they are, they, that they know that the message that you're sending to them is, is it, is in their best interest. And, um, you know, some of the things that I think is really important. And again, I found that a lot of my female goalkeepers were more inquisitive where guys were, if you told them something, they're just going to go about doing it where many of my female that I've worked with were like, why? And, and I thought that was great because it was, a, it was, it opened up dialogue. And now all of a sudden there's a reason to why we're doing this. But at the same time, I'm not saying guys aren't like that. I think guys now are, are more prone to be more receptive that way, where before a lot of what you were just talking about, you told them what to do. And I think now the better coaches are like, okay, you know, why did you do that? And again, I think that's probably the biggest difference between coaching males and females is that most of the time females right away, it's developing that interpersonal relationship and then giving them reasons why. And I think that to me is probably, you know, something that sticks out in my mind when I, when I'm coaching males and females. I think the days of just beating goalkeepers up and telling them <laughs> what they were bad at and how bad they were. Are gone. <laughs> uh, to me, I think it's even more difficult for a goalkeeper if you question them and hear their why and what they did, um, because now they have to put some thought in. They just can't block you out because, Hey, George, why'd you do that? I never would have done that. I didn't teach you how to do it like that. And, and at some point it just becomes, um, a compromise of the relationship and then you get blacked out versus now, Hey George, I couldn't see what you did and why you did from my angle. Could you explain it to me? Let them talk their way out of it or talk mm -hmm. their way into it and share their perspective with you. And I think we get better problem solving goalkeepers and goalkeepers then who will be a little bit more open to when they make mistakes because you're willing to hear them out. And think about one of the most important aspects that we're trying to develop is confidence. So I was, I was on staff at region one and I remember that I was coaching the goalkeepers and I recognized the moment. And I said, well, listen, I want you guys to avoid this. And I remember giving the group uh, a water break 
And Keith DeBatsnick, who was the region one director, was happening watching my session. And he says, hey, George, come over here for a second. He goes, instead of showing them what you don't want to see, why don't you show them what you want to say? And it was just like an aha moment because it became more of the positive versus the negative. And it was just like, wow, you know, like that's not rocket science. But, you know, I got just I got caught in that mindset of recognizing what not to do rather than, hey, listen, this is what you should be doing. One of the things that I've always picked up, and again, when I work with coaches, um, is when something goes wrong, rather than just telling them, okay, no, do it this way, but asking, okay, if you could do it over, what would you do? How would you, you change go. it if you could do it over? Well, what am I going to tell you? What should I be telling you now? And if they know, great. And again, you, I think you just alluded to it, George, is self-coaching, a key factor of confidence in sport is the ability to self-coach and so if you ask and they can answer the question great they have coached themselves that will also help their confidence Lara, what do you, what do you yeah have? one quick thing and then and then we can uh, we, we can move it on but yeah. this goes back to if, if we're doing the the job that i think we all want to do with our players is that it should if we can get it to the point where we give them a keyword and they can coach themselves to correct it so I might just say, George, you know, he, he may handle a ball differently or poorly or Jeff, I could say, Jeff, hand shape. And, and they can put their hands up in the right shape or they know exactly how to correct it. That's when I know that I've done my job. And I just say, I can say hand shape, body shape, position, balance, whatever it is, one word, and they know how to correct it. And I think as coaches, goalkeepers or otherwise, if we can keep our messages short and to the point, we, we've done a pretty good job. Yeah. Very good, very good. Okay, as I said, great, great conversation, great conversation. We could be here for an extensive period longer chatting about stuff. But again, dynastygoalkeeping.com. You can learn more about Tracy's programs and uh, pick up some good information there. We want to thank Tracy for her time today and for jumping in with us. And uh, we will speak to you at some point down the road. We hope you enjoyed that episode at the Goalkeeper Roundtable. If you'd like to reach out with suggestions, comments, or questions, all of our email addresses are available in the show description. If you like the show, we'd love for you to subscribe to it, but also share it in social media platforms or with any other goalkeeper or coach who may find value in it. We hope you turn in to the next Goalkeeper Roundtable.